0: The following is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Parking the Bus podcast can be followed on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Or if you have an Amazon Echo by simply saying, Alexa, play the Parking the Bus podcast. Don't forget to check out the show's homepage at www.parkingthebusmedia.com. what's up ptb nation welcome to episode number 51 of parking the bus i am your host the mr mike augustine you here with you once again another night this is the 10th in a row it is night 10 of euro 2020 and as always um or i should say as we have been throughout the duration of this competition uh PTB Media Network brings you another special episode of Parking the Bus tonight and tonight I'm joined by Fade My Place. He's here. He's back again to talk about today's matches. We're going to talk about Friday and Saturdays as well as well as we as some uh, special topics we got into. We talked about the concept of multiple hosts as this tournament is having play out. And I think we did a pretty good job of weighing the positives and negatives of it. I hope you'll enjoy that part of the episode as well. Plus, we preview tomorrow's uh, tomorrow's matches and get ready for the final days of the group stage. They're winding down. Only a couple more days left of group stage football. Before we get the first break in the tournament, the first couple of days, we have two days with no matches later this week, and then we are into the knockout stage. Just a reminder, um, because you're listening to this on the podcast feed and you're not watching the live video stream, um, you have a special gift in this one. At the end of the episode, there is a exclusive podcast bonus section or a bonus segment And I'm going to break down round four of the Brasileirão, the Brazilian League. Uh, It's been a few weeks since I've talked about it. And there's a lot going on in the league. And I I said a few things a while back. I told you a couple teams to watch for. And we're going to check in on those teams, most notably Red Bull Bragantino, um, Atlético Paranaense in particular. As well as another, there's another surprise team that's in there that's making a a little bit of a name for themselves. Yes, it's only round four, but there is definitely some surprises that have come down, some really surprising results. And we'll get into all of that tonight, okay? This is episode 51, like I said. Don't forget to follow the show on the social media at PTB underscore media, whether it's on, on Instagram, on Twitter and don't forget to check out the the website me park excuse me www.parkingthebusmedia.com and of course go over to the PTB media networks YouTube page subscribe hit the bell next to it all right i'm uploading the video from this episode up now rather than the live feed actually didn't come out very well i think that my internet my internet signal um, was, was atrocious throughout the duration of this this um, Throughout the duration of this recording so i'm actually going to be uploading the the mp4 file brand new so that there is no hiccup and no no stutter in it and um it'll be a much better quality it's just gonna take a little longer to get out but that is uh the lowdown right now so uh we're gonna take a quick break to pay a quick bill And on the other side, it's going to be episode 51. Thank you for joining me. Of course, again, I am the Mr. Mike Agustino. And um, enjoy the episode, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast's continuing coverage of Euro 2020 here on the PTB Media Network. What's up, P-T-B-Nation? Welcome to yet another episode of Parking the Bus Euro Edition, Euro 2020. It is day 10. I'm going to be joined in just a little while by Fade My Place. He's going to be joining us tonight. We're going to talk about today's matches, and we're going to talk about uh, some of the other topics going on in the competition. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the matches the past few nights as well. Um, First and foremost, though, I want to wish a happy Father's Day to each and every one of you listening, all the fathers out there uh, across the United States and Canada as well. I believe they're celebrating it today as well. Um, Thank you for spending part of your Father's Day here with me. And let me tell you, I told my son today, of everything I do in this world, of everything that I have and everything that that I am, the thing that I'm happiest and proudest of is being a father. And this is a day for all of us. So to everybody, happy Father's Day. How y'all doing? How is it going? All right. We've got Group A is complete. It is all done. Group A has finished. We've got Italy. We've got Wales and most likely Switzerland advancing. I have to wait a little while to see. Okay. Um, another solid performance i would say from the azuri today not as fantastic or not as spectacular as we had been seeing but no doubt a very solid performance and um you know you just saw them take care of business and we saw roberto mancini giving a lot of guys a chance to play today that had yet to get that chance okay we even saw the backup goalie get to go in today i'm gonna talk about all that also there was the other match switzerland and turkey the swiss come through in a must win which leaves us asking, what happened to Turkey? Can anybody tell me what happened to Turkey this tournament? Everybody had them as a dark horse. I think I even had them advancing. I'm not entirely sure anymore. I don't remember. It was a long time ago when I filled out that card, but I think I might have even had them advancing out of this group stage as a third place team. Zero points for Turkey. Um, that is quite a disturbing not disturbing but disappointing turn of events for them. And you you have to wonder what went wrong because they were on such a good run of form leading up to this. They were on such a good um just they were getting results. They were playing well, okay? They weren't surrendering goals, and then they came in here and they got lit up some three times and really really disappointing performance from turkey in this euro 2020 fade my plays is here i'm gonna i'm gonna bring him in right now what's up brother how's it going
1: What's going on?
0: Sorry about that. I was
1: uh, waiting in the wrong room. Literally clicked the wrong link. It was just sitting there like, when is this going to be going on? But yeah, I'm here. I'm ready. Let's talk about some fucking Euros.
0: All right. Sounds good. Yeah, the the uh, StreamYard's been a little bit weird the last 20 minutes or so. I had a whole show description done and everything was gone. All of a sudden it was unlinked to all my platform, so I had to throw it back up together at the last second. It might have broken the original link. I'm not sure. But no, I'm glad no, to I have you here. From days ago. All right, I'm glad to have you here. What'd you think? Um, let's start with today's action. What'd you think of today's action?
1: Uh, I mean, unfortunately, I you know, betting wise, was on the team total for Italy, and they had about a bajillion chances. Not to mention forty <laughs> minutes with uh, Wales down to ten men. But you could tell that they were just playing. You know, once they got the lead they're just kind of going through the motions as was Wales. Um, I think both sides were very content with a one nil Italy victory, but you watch the game and the biggest takeaway I had from it was how good Italy looked. I mean, their group is relatively easy, but mm-hmm. all three games, they've been in full control. They're the only uh, team to not allow a goal in the group stage in like, I think it's 16 years. Yeah, um, You know, so just unbelievably great play from them. And you know the i test granted again they were playing the likes of wales and turkey and switzerland but you know the i test says i think they look better than france do at the minute mm-hmm. you know the yeah, eye i test says i think they look better than portugal overall mm-hmm. um so i just have a kind of renewed um a renewed trust in kind of what's going on over there in italy and you know shockingly it seems like they're not even playing their best 11 and mm-hmm. still look this good uh you know it it surprises me in match day one and two the is still not in there and their bench is super deep so yeah I think I think they have a great chance at making a run especially with all these home games
0: yeah and how good was Chiesa today I mean he finally gets the opportunity I mean, and <laughs> I love watching that kid play like it
1: drives me insane he's not in the team and also yeah. there were a couple of uh I was screaming at the television because my uh I, you know, there was a couple of chances that people just weren't giving him the ball in open space. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? Get it together.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah I, I, he's a great and what, player. And what's impressive and what you sort of alluded to there, Italy's yet to show a weakness. Hmm. I, I, where do you attack them? I mean, they're yet. I mean, Portugal showed the weakness yesterday. It was made. Yep. Uh, Germany blew it wide open and showed everybody how to beat them, which is going to be something they're going to have to contend with now. But yeah. with Italy, I where do you where do you go at them? I mean, they change pieces, they change players. The the, mm. the game stays the same. They continue it's to play their game.
1: There's there's an element to Italy that, and this is kind of what I was saying when talking about their Switzerland game is there's a very specific way they play, a very mm-hmm. specific way that their team uses the build up, and they like to control the ball, but they actually do positive things with it versus mm-hmm. you know, a team like Spain that just sits on it for the whole mm-hmm. time, but. Again, and this comes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier, is that they haven't really played anyone that's really pushing them. And the only team that could have really pushed them was Switzerland, but Switzerland plays the exact same style of play, and they are not as good by miles. So it'll be interesting to see when they go up against a better side that actually comes at them and has a really dynamic attack. What it's going to be like, I think a nightmare matchup for Italy would be the likes of France because I think France would do to Italy what they did to Germany: just sure. sit back, soak up pressure, and then break
0: with unbelievable pace. Right. Yeah, I could see that, and I think Belgium would be a would be an entertaining matchup for Italy as well because yeah. <laughs> I think they could they could handle the. Hmm the ball movement and the player movement of, of Italy well and it could break they got all kinds of pace to break on the uh, on yeah. to attack on the break against them. But we saw Marco Verratti come in today. He hadn't played yet. He him and Jorginho together make a very nice uh a very nice tandem there in midfield. And then yeah, I mean, yeah we saw what, what
1: a riches you have when Verratti yeah. is, you know,
0: not even there you're three 0 Right. Eight changes in total from uh match day two. So uh, we even got, to, like I just said, uh, just before you came on, we even got to see the backup goalkeeper today for a little bit. That's how yeah. comfortable Italy is. I think they literally may have come as close as you can get to getting all 26 <laughs> players into a match at some point yeah. in this group stage. Uh, w- job well done. Uh, they can only control who's in front of them. They can't control that they're not playing better teams. So they mm-hmm. showed up, they, they, They did their business on the other end, Wales, like you said, I think they knew the result of Turkey and and Switzerland Mm. and were content to just lose one nil because that keeps them ahead on the goal difference, puts them in second place. Um, Gareth Bale probably had the best chance of the game for, for Wales. I mean, And it was interesting. It was right. It was on a set piece that Italy had just made a wholesale substitution on, and somehow you know the ball gets knocked to the far post, headed across the face of goal, and there's Gareth Bale completely unmarked, but he can't get it on goal.
1: And and also, I mean, talk about not just that golden chance. They also had for some reason. You know, they got the ball in the box and had loads of players and just kind of drilled it out and didn't do anything with that. I mean, Wales had their chances. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say in any way they deserve to win or deserve to even draw that game. But they did have a couple of chances. But I think, mm-hmm. again, it goes back to a lot of it was just Italy sleeping, being content to not really. I mean, Italy's through no matter what. Unless, you know, some crazy loss to Wales by four goals, they'd be, in, you know, the top of the table or top of the group anyway. So, right, you know, I just, I really feel like today was not a great measure of Italy other than seeing just how deep they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about Wales that I, I'm shocked that they're going through, but they are, you know, well mm-hmm. done to them. Yeah. But, Italy with their B squad and their B squad is so much better than a lot of the other teams out there period. But Mm -hmm. I mean, Wales just is exposed. I mean, in in the Switzerland game as well, Wales just, they are going to be torn apart by somebody. Mm -hmm. And I think if this was match day one, this would have been a three, a four nil win Mm -hmm. for Italy. Yeah. They were lucky to
0: get them last. Yeah.
1: I'm, I was shocked at, just like the amount of gaps they leave. They're a lot like Scotland and they're playing with so much passion, but I mean, they just get their foot in and they're going to get a red card here and there. I mean, the red card was very harsh, but at the same time, you know, sleds up is always going to be one. And especially when the ball is nowhere near you, but I just, I I wasn't convinced.
0: Yeah. I'm with you on that. I thought it was a little bit harsh too. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't see any intent to, to, he was late. That's all it was. He, yeah. he arrived he was, late. He was Allen. late, but the suns were up. So what
1: the are you going to do? Were up.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll go through the, the two sets of eleven real quick. Wales played a four uh three four three. Danny Ward back in goal, Joe Roden, Ethan uh Empadu, who was the player who ended up getting sent off. And Chris Gunter are the three in the back. Connor Roberts, Joe Morell, Joe Allen, Nico Williams in midfield, and then the attack is the well known uh trio. Daniel mm. James of Manchester United, Aaron Ramsey of Juventus and Gareth Bale. Um I believe his loan is up so he's back at Real Madrid officially now or maybe on July 1st he's officially back at Real Madrid. But that that is a pretty good front three. Um mm-hmm. plenty of pace in it. Daniel James I think's been pretty good in this tournament actually. Uh, I think player. he's shown he yeah, he's shown well in these three matches. Uh, yeah. For Italy 4-3-3 they played Donnarumma of course in goal. Rafael Toloy comes in. Uh, Bonucci gets the start and the, the armband. He's partnered today with Alessandro Bastoni. And Emerson gets a shot at left back today. Jorginho Verratti and Matteo Piscina in midfield. And their front three, Andrea Bellotti, who had a, a million chances, it seemed like. Um, he partners and with that's, Federico Teresa. Yeah, Federico Chiesa and Federico Bernadetsky. So that's the yeah. makeshift uh, Italian team, like we said. Eight changes from match <laughs> day Yeah, it's It's a nice luxury, isn't it, to have this type of second line. I mean, if you're Italy, you're probably feeling comfortable in the fact that if anybody is sent off, if anybody is injured, I don't think there's anybody irreplaceable in the squad. There's Don another Rome's guy waiting to come in other time. than Donnarumma, right. But as far as the outfield players, yeah, it looks like you know you could pretty much substitute anybody with, that you have an answer for anybody that might go missing.
1: And what's nice is not only do you have an answer, but a lot of their players are very versatile in terms of they can play you know uh, on the wings, they can play in the midfield mm-hmm. as a holding midfielder, as an attacking midfielder. They have very versatile players um you know and as outlined by verati i mean he wasn't Mm -hmm. even in there for match day one or two comes in today and plays kind of that holding midfielder role um Mm -hmm. that he does for psg but he still gets into the box he's still dynamic as a player Mm -hmm. it's you know it's it's a very dangerous side top to bottom
0: yeah no doubt no doubt at all and you know the way they move the ball is just there's a a comfort and a confidence in their play right now Mm -hmm. and they just they know each other. They look like a. They look like a club team. Is actually what it looks like. It doesn't look like a, you know, selection of of players that have come together to play for a country. They look like a team that plays together all the time. Yeah,
1: I mean, and that's well. I mean, that's the beauty of having. You know, it's. It, I think during the broadcast they said it today that you look at a team like Wales and you have a couple of your players in the third division in England mm-hmm. you have a couple of your players in the top tier you have a couple of your players in you know the french second league but i think it was eight out of the starting 11 for italy all playing the serie a so yeah. if they don't play together they know each other's game extremely well Uh, You know, they're all speaking to each other in the same language Mm -hmm. all the time, whether for club or country. It's just a situation where I think it really benefits those teams where, you know, not that England are ever successful. But one of the most dangerous England teams was back in the early 2000s when literally eight of the starting 11 played for Manchester United. And it's because they have so much ability to read each other without having to get Mm -hmm. used to it and i think that will always always be a benefit you know like when spain won the world cup you Mm -hmm. have over half your players play for two teams yeah (laughs) exactly
0: and at that time the two best teams in the world yeah exactly (laughs) it it was yeah it it is always good to build when you can to build a national team around a core from a club team Mm -hmm. because then you're just adding pieces versus starting from scratch yeah. And they did yeah. say, like you said, they said 22 of the 26 players are in Serie A and they're all yeah. everyday players. They're not just in this area. So, some of the players on other teams could be in the top flight, but, but down mm. the pecking order, fighting for minutes. And then they said the four that are not in the Serie A are split between PSG and Chelsea. So even within the ones not in the league, they're only coming from two (laughs) clubs, you know? (laughs) Yeah, not exactly a slouch is there. No, not just anybody. Champions
1: League winners and, uh, you know, perennial finalists
0: yeah. Okay, so uh, the goal ends up coming in the 39th minute. It's Pessina. It's off a set-piece. It was beautiful. He just got enough of a redirection on it. They, the ball had eyes found its way into the far post no. and uh, yeah, they saw the result out after that. I think they were comfortable. They never were again, three matches. I'm yet to see them really put under any type of stress,
1: nah, always I mean, comfortable
0: if you're, in all three if you're matches. An Italy fan, you, you don't have too many uh, clenching moments. No, no, it was a pretty uh, relaxing <laughs> group phase <laughs> for them. Yeah. Um, of course, better teams are awaiting are in the horizon and they will be tested, but you know, half the field – well, not half, but uh, a quarter of the field is going to go home at the end of the week. Exactly. So you're already advancing. Plus, they, like you said, they have the advantage of playing at home until the semifinals. So they have mm. two more home games if they win. And mm-hmm. one of them's against England, so they can take out the host – well, if England wins the group, of course. But they can take out the host of the finals at their stadium. And maybe that brings me to the other topic. I've been meaning to, to bring this up. What do you think of having all these hosts? It's starting to seem like the teams playing at home are are all doing better than those who are not playing at home.
1: Yes and no. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I would argue that it's obviously a huge help, but, you know, how's Turkey doing? Right. You know, they, they, right. they look terrible. They've mm-hmm. been terrible. They've lost yeah. every match, and deservedly so, and mm-hmm. all of their games have been in Budapest. You know, I mean, I think a lot of the host nation's are good sides like it just so happens that mm-hmm. the dutch are in the easiest group there is and you know uh, and they're playing in uh the netherlands and mm-hmm. you know denmark it's not going well for them playing in copenhagen uh england look like absolute shit and Like mm-hmm. i mean they were in england
0: and they wouldn't have known it from the crowd though the Scotland fan, you wouldn't have known it from oh, the, no, I mean, the yeah. Scotland fans out out shouted them out, saying them. Yeah, it was, was quite involved. remarkable.
1: That's that's the nature of the English fans as well because yeah. they're so jaded, knowing that eventually some way they're going to fuck it up. But no, I mean, I meant for the Croatia game. This sure. is the first, England, you know, I don't know how much you know about it, but you know, my family's half of my family's all over there, and they've been locked down and so i have fans in the stadium in wembley and it's the first england match in so long and it's a team that actually could do something Mm -hmm. you know it's it's that it's coming home feeling all over again yeah and still it's just like they were barely able to eke out a one nil win against croatia i mean i i would argue for some teams it's a massive boost and it's showing and it will continue to benefit them and then for other teams it's you know it's great to have for them, but it's not. Yeah, I, I would argue that we're going to see the actual effect of home teams when it comes time to, you know, in the knockout stage when we're mm-hmm. seeing at Wembley, England taking on, you know, the Netherlands in the semifinal or right. Portugal in the
0: quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it's I'm wondering and I'm thinking that this may be a little bit of a test run for the future because mm. we hear all the time about the – the immense burden it is to host one of these competitions the amount of money that has to be pumped into infrastructure and to yeah this is a lot less of a burden by spreading it out among a large group of countries each one mm-hmm. gets a city a lot of countries can come up with one stadium in one host city without spending much yeah i'm wondering if you know the next one's slated to be in germany i'm wondering if after that we start to see this format for this competition Um, It it makes
1: sense. And then also, mm -hmm. you know, the the
0: benefit of the reason why countries
1: bid on the Olympics and the World Cup and the Euros and all that is because of the revenue that they Mm -hmm. get from you know tourism and all of that. Mm -hmm. But, oh, by the way, there's another country that hasn't really benefited being at home. Germany and Munich still lost at home their opening game to France. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I like about it a lot is that you get these, not just different stadiums, but you're having teams kind of, in some way or another mimic the regular season mm-hmm. all of these players are traveling especially the top tier yeah. teams they're traveling for the Champions League so going country to country mm-hmm. and it's a way to embrace kind of a bigger ability for more fans and for different fans they aren't able to afford to be i can't you know as a as a german fan some people may not be able to travel to england to go to wembley but they can go to munich you mm-hmm. know i mean i think i think they're giving that opportunity and also you know, like you said, the infant infrastructure, if you're not already set up for it, like people think the Olympics that happen in the United States, right? It's yeah, there was the LA Olympics. Yeah, there was Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was Squaw Valley, but it's still spread out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just one stadium where and and you look at Brazil, and it's like what it did to that country. Mm -hmm. I mean, and now they have a ghost stadium that they built for the World Cup, and it doesn't do anything. And it just right. with all that money and energy and resources. And it's just literally a boondoggle. So I think it's a great way to say, hey, Brazil, you have these amazing, amazing football stadiums already built that you don't have the infrastructure to house all these teams and all these mm-hmm. people. So let's combine it and make it South American. Let's do in Argentina, you know, let's in Chile and Brazil. So I think I think you're to something there with it being a good model moving forward i i can see the only problem with it would be you know how do you decide who gets the final who gets the semis but and you, you may know. run into
0: having the same hosts every tournament and the the would that be so bad i mean they, they no, have five-star venues for a reason right right what you would need and i think they did this right they didn't treat every host as a host they had to qualify mm-hmm. And they didn't just get seated because they're the host like you normally have when you have one. Because otherwise, I mean, you would have the top teams in the world guaranteed, not guaranteed, but pretty much guaranteed the easiest groups. But yeah. the way they did it, I think it's, you know, it's it's tough when you draw two hosts in your group um, and you're playing two teams on their home on their home uh, pitches. But I do think it is it is a model going forward that's probably going to be looked at and mm. that what could stand in the way could be, you know, the politics of football, because it's so dirty and so corrupt but a place like budapest or copenhagen are never going to host a, a major tournament otherwise baku in azerbaijan mm-hmm. you know you're you're taking it like you said to places and to fans that otherwise would never have a chance to host an yeah. event of this if they had to you know host it all in one and with the debacle of of world cup 2022 being in qatar i think that that probably blows up the whole model of a single host going forward i mean we're no, well, already. I also, yeah,
1: I mean, you know, I, I not to get into it, but like mm. we talk about the corruption of the Super right. League, Jesus Christ, like yeah, on Qatar, and also it's just it's going to ruin all of 2022 football in general because oh, it completely uh, takes away from all of the league. So I don't know, it, I don't, it's absolutely yeah. insane to me that
0: they allowed that.
1: And yeah, it is corruption, but shit.
0: Yeah, it is, and you know, it really. And then you know, COVID hits a year and a half before that. We're not going to have a normal calendar until after that World Cup. So yeah. we're looking at probably twenty three, twenty four as a hopeful return to what we're used to before, with with a normal calendar with international dates and yeah. you know with summer tournaments. But I mean, they're already jammed up. They're playing World Cup qualifiers, three matches per window now, yeah. all the way to the world, just to squeeze them in. It ended up working out in the end because I don't know that they would have been able to run a World Cup next summer, mm. given how behind qualifying is. They would have had to probably cancel this competition and the Copa America and play qualifiers through the summer. But mm. um yeah, I it, it, it is interesting. And I think that um going forward, like I said, this this could this is kind of very gold cup ish, even mm. you see it in CONCACAF where we've had situations where like Mexico plays their group at home. United States plays at home and then Canada plays at all. And then they come together for the knockout stages in two or three cities and you just start to spread games out. I mean, it's a lot of traveling, but it's easier than, you know, the, the huge burden, like we said, of hosting a Euro, a world cup or an Olympics. And I mean,
1: I mean, that that's also another thing. And again, call me, you know, I don't know, call me soccer elitist, but mm -hmm. it, it, Seems to be this weird situation where is it really benefiting the people of a country? Mm-hmm. Not not the politicians, not the right. big business owners, the people of a country to build all these crazy stadiums mm-hmm. like they're doing in Qatar or like they did for Brazil, versus if England hosts the World Cup, every they have all the stadiums already done. Oh, yeah. They don't need to do anything literally zero same with the u.s same with germany same with france and i'm not saying leave it to only those countries right just i feel like there is something to be said for your the economic impact the Mm -hmm. social impact the environmental impact is so much less using Mm -hmm. host countries that have some of this built already you know like a a great doing kind of taking this model that we're talking about one step further is have these other countries like qatar and all that have them each build one stadium rather than five because what are you going to do with those five anyway after the world Cup? It's never coming back there so like build one and then have one in each place and all of that like i mean finland they can host an actual match you know they don't have to build anything because they have their own leagues norway sweden they have their Mm -hmm. own leagues you know, At I, I most,
0: just, they would have to add some stands to reach a capacity exactly, yeah. of fifty thousand or something like that and in one you, And if you,
1: you host a group stage match there, then you know what? Guess what? There's less tickets. Like you know, be in yeah, the city it is.
0: feel the electricity, but you know, not all stadiums are made equal. Right, and like you said, England, for example, has a great highway system. It's easy to get about the country. You uh, could even expand it and do it in the entire UK. You could include Ireland if you wanted to. Northern Ireland, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland, Scotland, uh, Wales, and England could host a tournament. Yeah, I mean,
1: you, you go to um, you go to Cardiff. I mean, they mm-hmm. have yeah unbelievable
0: stadium there. Sure,
1: you know, you go you go to Dublin and they have the O2. It's unbelievable. Right. I mean, exactly. There's there's so many places that already exist. It seems crazy to build ones that will then not only never be used again, but I mean, we've heard stories of you know, deaths and, and it just exploding local communities. And it's not, it's not worth it for football when none of the players are going to enjoy it. And, you know, who the fuck is traveling to Qatar to go and see this?
0: Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. I know. I know. I
1: should tell him not. No. Because Qatar is a bajillion degrees during the summer, they have to do it during the winter, which not only screws up the league, but now you're asking fans, you know, of these other teams in Western countries to be like, oh, you know, fuck Christmas with my family. My one break, I'm going to go to Qatar to support my team. Right. That just, you know, I
0: don't know yeah, it's interesting. i I had meant to touch on this one in one of the other episodes, and we never get the chance And today with only two matches, there's yeah. more time to talk about these things. So I thought i would I would dive into that a little bit. and I tend to agree with you on just about everything you said there. and um this is I think this is really gonna unfold in an interesting mm-hmm. way because these tournaments do have a we we talk about the advantages, but how often does the host actually go on to win these tournaments when you really think about it? I mean, buried. they're carried. They're carried to a certain level. We've seen hosts go beyond their expectation, but eventually, reality sets in, and you find yeah. an opponent that that's just not enough to overcome. But yeah. um, I mean, the
1: best example of all
0: time is Brazil and Germany. Of course, of course. And I Brazil mean, probably they were not a semifinal level team that year. They they overperformed to even get there, yeah. and then you know reality hit them real hard, <laughs> and you know Russia. Russia got to the quarterfinals on, you know, basically that exactly. that energy of playing at home. Korea back in 2002 gets to the semifinals, but did anyone believe they were ever going to win it? I mean, it, it is it and more it times
1: than not it makes it almost an
0: easier path for whoever faces them. True, true, absolutely. Um, how much did you see of Switzerland and Turkey? I'm gonna, I didn't see much of this, you know. Game. I tried
1: to watch simultaneously mm-hmm. as much as I can, obviously, because I had uh, a little bit more money on the Italy game. I watched, yeah, more of, of that, course. which was obviously the wrong choice because the Switzerland game was electric. Yeah, uh, I mean, an absolute worldie from Shakiri, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was good and it comes back. The, the obviously, I've gone back and watched, uh, you know, a lot of the play breakdown and the mm-hmm. highlights. and it comes back to like this is how Switzerland operate is if you look at the statistics, they had even possession for the most part, you know, more shots on goal. But, you know, it was pretty even, but they just made their shots count because they're not afraid to take them. You know, yeah. I mean, their first two goals were amazing shots from outside the box. Mm hmm. They, you can't say like this is a Swiss team that's going to pick you apart. It's not. It's a team that's going to go forward, press you, impress you, and shoot as much as they can from anywhere on the pitch because they have the talent to you know do what Shakiri did and put it in every now and then, mm. or make a deep cross from thirty yards out and Mbolo get ahead to it. So I think Switzerland is a great example of a team with a lot of fight and a team that does not subscribe to the fact that they're underdogs they play like everyone is the same opponent and they are going to play their game against them. Yeah, I agree with
0: that. And they, they knew, I guess, again, it's an, it's a case of another team that won the game. They had to win. Yeah. They took care of business and they, they won what they had to win in order to advance. I think they're going to advance. I think four points is going to be enough. Um, Hmm. We'll see. It's going to be close because we got a lot of teams right now with three already. So going into the final match days, it, I don't like what Portugal's sitting right now, for example, because it's looking like as these teams keep getting four points, they they need to get a result against France, which is going to be very hard to, to, to come to. by. Yeah, and uh, you know that goal difference isn't going to come into play when you're a point behind all of a sudden. Yeah, um, so I was hoping for Turkey to win this or for a draw just to keep Switzerland at at two points. But mm-hmm. it didn't happen. Switzerland did what they needed to do, like we said. And, you know, goals from Safarovic and Shakiri, Two from Shikiri. Uh He was on Fought Mob named the man of the match. And another good match for Steven Zuber as well. Yeah. got a high rating. And, um... Oof, God, I'm just looking
1: at yeah. uh, the tables right now. And, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Portugal, not only...
0: Yeah, they... The they only good chance. thing is because Portugal plays on the final day, they will know exactly what they have to do when they go on. That is very true. Whereas Switzerland has to now sit around and wait for the next couple of days to see what's gonna happen.
1: Well, yeah, you also got this is interesting though. I think I think they have a road if they didn't even win. Because mm-hmm. thank God for them, Spain is so trash. Yeah. <laughs> that Spain's final matches against Slovakia, Spain has to win. Yeah. They, Most likely will win. Slovakia will be on, you know, uh, a negative goal difference Mm -hmm. and um, three points. You have Scotland and Croatia. Croatia must win to get anything. Right. Uh, But if they don't, then you have Scotland and Croatia, you know, sitting on two points if they draw Yeah, and then that will do it. Yeah,
0: if, if I think... As long as Hungary don't pull off the upset of... Yeah, and Belgium,
1: Germany <laughs> facing Finland. yeah, You know, even if Belgium rotates their entire squad, Finland should lose, so that's another, you know... So there is a path yeah. for them if they don't get yeah. anything, but I think the hinge of kind of everything happening in all the group stages is yeah. one of tomorrow's matches, and that's Ukraine and Austria. Yeah, And yeah, exactly. that game will completely change the landscape for people going through because I genuinely think they're both going to play for a draw. I think this Mm -hmm. is going to be a nil nil Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and it's actually in the betting markets. I've never seen it before. A draw is the odds on favorite. Yeah. I've never seen it it
0: benefits, both teams, you know, it's interesting. And this game, this Turkish team, you know, was so touted by some people as the quote unquote dark horse. And, Crazy! You know, I said in the opening just before you came on that what happened here, is, uh, because they it's not like they weren't in good form coming in. I mean, their results leading into this would would suggest what people were predicting, hmm. and all of a sudden they come into these three matches and they just get smacked up, and yeah, and they look They, terrible tar- well. they look terrible. They're leaking goals. They look like they're they didn't have a, a plan or they, the plan they did have didn't work and they didn't have anything mm. to fall back on. They didn't have any kind of adjustments made three losses. I mean, they're the first team, you know, they're the only team I think with zero points right now. Um, Macedonia, North Macedonia. North, North, you know, Macedonia there's is a the couple
1: that have zero, but they've played less games. Denmark, right. has zero. Right. North right. North, right. But they have another game. Right. I and, can't, I can't imagine other than North Macedonia, Mm-hmm. I don't think another team will have zero. And and Turkey's a right. home country as
0: well. They played yeah. all of their they matches. They played in Baku. There. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it, who would have expected Turkey to come in here and get zero? I thought they would Sweat. be a third, mm-hmm. if not second place. In well, I took them second
1: it. in this group. Mm-hmm.
0: Or, no, excuse me, third. I thought switch yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. What a so, surprise, though, from
1: Wales. I can't believe that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know that I didn't expect it from them either. I mean, We've seen so little of Gareth Bale, and we and he's been terrible. And he's been and what we have seen has been terrible, you know. And Aaron Ramsey, we he they're different players when they play for Wales than when they play in their club teams. There's a little bit of effort there that, or maybe not effort, but there's just a drive and a familiarity, Mm -hmm. and there's a comfort in playing in their national team. Yeah, and again, just like Switzerland, Wales won the one match they had to win
1: yeah there's a lot to be said though about i think that it comes down to like team's makeup and mm-hmm. i'm not trying to hate I, I swear i'm a fan of them my wife is you know british
0: and my mm-hmm. family
1: is british mm-hmm. and i swear i'm a fan of england but i genuinely feel like that's a big reason why they kind of are perennial losers or perennial choke artists at least in recent years well in the last what almost 60 years now Mm -hmm. but it's because there's some there's some inkling and feeling in every brit i've ever met in my life that they know at one point it's all going to fall apart and that could be you know a british mentality that could be just the heartache that they've suffered as Mm -hmm. football fans of you know england but England don't have that killer instinct that when they need to win, they have one game and they have to get all three points and they need, you know, two goals to, they need to win by two goals for a goal difference. You just know they're not going to get it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when last last world cup, when we were all watching that Croatia game, it's like you have Kieran Trippia hit that absolute worldly free kick in the first 15 minutes. And then Croatia levels it up. And as you get to the 80th minute, it's, You just know everyone's like, oh my God, they're going to fuck this up. Oh my God, they're going to do something terrible. As opposed to, come on, like, get it, get it, you know. And I think that that mentality plays into a lot of teams, like with Turkey. I mean, you get embarrassed in front of your home fans in Budapest twice. You go into this last day knowing we have no road moving forward, really, unless we absolutely destroy Switzerland. You know, I, I just think you could see them playing as though they're going home Mm -hmm. and you know i think that's something that you don't often see like another zero point team denmark they have all fight it is oh yeah
0: they're gonna fight till the death
1: yeah and in fact i have them to win tomorrow i think it's Mm -hmm. a lot uh just because of the fact that it'll be in front of their home crowd Mm -hmm. if they win the right way they can go through which would be an amazing story because of Christian Eriksen, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's like you have teams that are willing to put in that fight. And from what I've seen so far, Turkey, Spain, Croatia, Poland, Hungary are not those teams this year. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and you can compare that to, for example, the German attitude where they're never counting themselves out. No. And you, you can tell fighting. them how bad they are all you want. Yep. They don't believe it. They just keep going. And yeah. the, it's never over to the Germans until the final whistle blows. Yeah. I don't know. Even in the German league, you see teams come back all the time, and they fight to the very, very end. And I, sure. everyone had written Germany off after that loss to yeah. to France, and then you know, it's like a "Hey, you forgot about us" kind of thing yesterday. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. it, 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 classic wild. German German way of doing things, completely calculated. Uh, they did their homework. And they said, we're going to beat you like this. You stop us. You force us. And they, you know, and they continue to be able to overload the two flanks, send mm. in great ball, great service balls all game. And, you know, they they could have easily won six or seven to one yesterday. Yeah. That I could mean, it would have been an absolute massacre. It, and it really, in reality,
1: should have been. But, yeah, yeah. I, I, very quick side note story. But I completely agree with you about the Germans. One of my favorite stories from this year was randomly in the middle of the year i took uh leipzig and leverkusen i picked a draw you know uh sent it out as one of my plays and almost immediately leverkusen score mm-hmm. and i was like yeah shit and then in the 60th minute uh leverkusen score again the 61st minute they score again three nil and i was like well done watching this game lost that, yeah. whatever from the 89th minute to the 94th minute Leipzig score 3 finishes yeah. as a 3-3 draw it's like Germans do not know how to stop trying right and i think i think the same you know for the most part with portugal as well i think they're very very yeah. much in that category of a team that just like we could be down 3-0 4-0 we're going to mm. fucking fight and you saw that that's why they got
0: yeah I think we lost him for a second there. But yeah, what he's saying, he's right. You know, the Germans will fight to the end. Um Portugal were able to get a goal back, which made a big big difference. It's going to make a big difference in the in the goal, in the goal difference, but they it looks like they're going to need a point. I don't know. We'll we'll know on Wednesday when we get there. Let me see if uh what I'm going to do, I'm going to take a quick break right now. All right. We're going to see if we can get him back on and we will be right back here on parking the bus. He, okay. He's coming in. We'll be right back. We're going to take a real, real short break and give me about 30 seconds or so to get him back on. All right. There you are. In there, my bad. <laughs> That's all right. No, no worries. Uh, no worries at all. Um, yeah. As you were saying, you know, you're about to say the last thing I heard you say was that, uh, that's why Portugal got one back there. And that, that goal yeah. could end up being the the difference, is that Jota that mm-hmm. goal. And again, for me, as a Portugal fan, obviously, and mm-hmm. all the criticism you, that has always been laid on Ronaldo for his his national team performances or his lack of desire. I mean, he made a goal and assist out of very little yesterday. He had very yeah. little service. That's That second goal is him not giving up on the ball and managing yeah. to put it back across the face of goal so that jota can put it in and i yeah. think they were a little bit happy to be 4-2 to because towards the end it, he made a substitution to kind of keep that goal difference mm. and take their chances now on the final day knowing they'll know what exactly what they have to do and i think they're against anybody else i still trust them <laughs> this is four games in a row against germany that kind of went that way yeah. um and it won't see
1: him again until the final unless... And, and,
0: uh, right. And if we get there, we'll worry about it then. Exactly. <laughs> um, but France may, uh, for them, be a better match. Um, even though they're a better team, I don't know that they're going to be so... They're going to look to exploit the weaknesses quite mm-hmm. that way and that viciously, if you will. Um, I think France have their own way of playing that matches up and is more... more uh, more consistent with the way we want to play and i think that's why a lot of times we cancel each other out a little bit and um it happened in nations league too we played them twice and it was one was a draw they won the other one but there was a lot of canceling out of the two teams so (laughs) um but yeah that to get back to that german attitude it's just i admire it so much that they just like you said uh their leipzig puts in three goals in the last five minutes of the match and there's just no dying in the in those teams in those in their yeah. the way they play in their culture really it's a cultural strength, mm-hmm. and it's also it's interesting as well to see the teams
1: that look at I don't know I feel like there's some teams where you can see that international competitions are such a source of pride, um, mm-hmm. and it comes across you know in their gameplay and their fans. You know, and, and I'm not saying even in the anthem, it comes across
0: here. for some teams in the yeah, way that like they belt out their anthem.
1: Yeah. I, I, and I'm not in any way trying to say that some teams don't try. I'm just simply mm-hmm. saying that there are definitely those that make a point of their national teams being a massive focus of all of their players
0: from the time that, you know, they start playing football. Yeah. So three to one to Switzerland, like we said. Uh, again, nightmarish uh, group stage for Turkey. Probably, it has to be one of their worst performances ever at a finals yeah. uh, in any competition. Italy wins the group with nine points, seven goals scored, none allowed. Um, classic Italian uh, <laughs> and more goals than they we used to see from them. So they, it's a nice evolution of what their football is becoming. And I, I like mm. where they're going. Um, yeah. Even if this isn't the tournament they win, they're definitely going in the right direction. And they they have a core group that they're going to keep for for some years here, even as yeah. the Immobiles and the the chiellini's and the bonucci's move on. Uh, there's definitely a core group that they can build around. Absolutely. Wales, Wales with the the second place finish, four points, plus one goal difference, only three goals scored, but only two goals allowed. And when you allow less than you score, you're gonna you're gonna end up with some points. Uh, Switzerland also won four, but they are at minus one, so they're gonna wait and see what happens. Um, and of course, Turkey with zero. All right, you want to look at tomorrow's matches? Let's We're do it a few tomorrow. So we got four tomorrow, right? Yeah, more so at uh, the early game All tomorrow, at the same time, right? No, yeah. no, two, two, and, two. Two and, and then two. 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 so the early game is or early games is in Group C, North Macedonia versus the Netherlands and Ukraine versus Austria. Mm-hmm. Netherlands have six points. Again, we, we've we talked about this game, how this one's attractive to us because yeah. you've got a North Macedonia side that's out there to just play and that's playing on pride and they're going to, I believe, be even excited to go against a team, the caliber of the Netherlands. You mm-hmm. have a Netherlands side that's already through and they're going to be managing minutes. They're probably going to be... Like anyone holding on to a yellow card is probably going to sit to not risk uh, being suspended for the round of yep. 16. So it, it's a game where North Macedonia could steal something. They're definitely going to make it difficult for the Netherlands, I think. They're going to push them, and they're going to make yeah. an entertaining match out of it. And then you got the Ukraine and Austria, like you said, which is a game you're you're pretty sure is going to end up in a draw because it, that is the, the going favorite right now as... Um, both teams, it's not beneath either one of those teams to go out there and just get a draw and kind of agree to to kind of just keep the ball amongst themselves mm-hmm. and and see out the ninety minutes. Uh, what are you thinking in these either of these two matches tomorrow?
1: Yeah, I like. Um, again, I think that it's an interesting case where what you said is exactly correct. North Macedonia is playing for pride; they know they're out, um, but these. The line is just wild that they're, you know, plus a thousand or, yeah, excuse me, plus one thousand. I'm not saying I would ever bet on them, but the idea that you can get two goals head start on the, you know, uh, spread at minus 115 is nuts. I don't think Netherlands is going to go out here and smack them for nothing. Um, In fact, North Macedonia hasn't lost by that big a margin Mm -hmm. yet. I mean, you know, they've allowed. Five goals and they've scored two so mm-hmm. you know and they've scored in
0: how many straight games now i think it's now 17 17 straight yeah. game. right so, and you, so you would like them to score
1: i i see both teams scoring but then again mm-hmm. so do the books so north macedonia in both their match day one and match day two uh the side they were playing and both teams to score parlaying those two together were over plus 300 mm-hmm. and for tomorrow against the netherlands who is a Defensive side than either ukraine or austria and a better attacking side uh it's only plus 185 so i think the books kind of see that while north macedonia may not be winning this game the idea that they can get something out of it is very very plausible mm-hmm. uh i see exactly what you said netherlands putting out a heavily rotated squad mm. um just because they are through they've won their group barring you know a loss in ukraine or austria winning three nil which won't happen mm-hmm. uh, but i you know my favorite look in this is just both teams to score because if they will or north macedonia plus two at minus 115 i mean those are great prices for me considering this is a game that netherlands don't need it'll be heavily rotated and north macedonia as we've seen so far will throw everything they have at this game
0: yeah no doubt and Ukraine Austria, both teams on three points. Uh, mm. Probably both liking their their chances with four points. Let's see, the goal difference. They're both I, on zero at goal difference. So I have never,
1: ever in my life seen a draw before kickoff be minus money. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that ever. Not once. I've seen it in like the 60th minute of a game. Sure but to see -115 for the draw tomorrow is the most insane thing ever like i might i might put you know a half unit on austria and ukraine you know just outright mm-hmm. because you're getting ridiculous money i mean austria's +295 ukraine's +270 you put half a unit on each you've made money like it's just yeah it it's just don't get me wrong i think this is a nil nil draw the play for me is under 2 but
0: it's just wild that
1: the books think they're both going to lay down and just literally, you know, stand on the ball for 90 minutes.
0: Yeah. It's going to be like that Simpsons episode where the halfback plays it to the fullback, plays it to the (laughs) halfback, and the crowd riots. exactly what it is. (laughs) So that's that's the early two games. Um, Then we have... Finland taking on Belgium and Russia taking on Denmark. Belgium on six points, of course. Um, Finland's still with an outside shot, so they're going to come to play. They're another team that does not quit, does not give up. Um, they're very rarely in these final tournaments, so they're going to they're gonna live it up because they don't know when they're going to qualify again. They're going to leave it all out there. And then Russia and Denmark, we've said, I, I also like Denmark in this one. I've liked Denmark since... Uh, I looked at the the rest of the matches after you know the Christian Eriksen thing happened, and after they unfortunately you know dropped three points to Finland, yeah. um, they put in a solid effort against Belgium. There's no reason to think they they can't do it again. Uh, yeah, I mean if they if they play
1: like they did against Belgium for the mm-hmm. first half, and and Belgium is a much much sure. better side than mm-hmm. Russia, so if they if they play how they did against Russia and they're playing in Copenhagen. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, the Christian Eriksen, not legacy, but, you know, tribute game. And it's their right. opportunity. If they win, they go through, you know, depending on the rest of the table or rest of the groups. But, like, it's such a massive game with everything saying this is Denmark's, you know, shining moment. The, right. and Russia have looked terrible. I think this is a, a, you know, Denmark, not blowout, but a very very solid victory
0: yeah and with that I think Denmark whether they advance or not with the win they won't know they'll go with their heads held high with finishing Absolutely. finishing on the right foot yeah they'll all be wearing um, number 10 underneath their kids. of course of course and uh, yeah they're playing at home like you said they're in Copenhagen so they'll have the support of their crowd behind them and really they're gonna they're another team that will play for pride and and just does things the right way. And they're not going to lay down, obviously. And mm-hmm. we talked about the last time we talked about them, how, what they must be going through emotionally and yeah, I mean, and just mentally, the mental exhaustion of what they've been through and how it, it would even maybe be best for their mental health to be eliminated. Yeah. But they're not just going to lay down. They're going no to go out fighting. And that's the type of character they have. And I think we're going to see the best of them tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I expect Belgium to take care of business against Finland. I mean, all the heart in the world that Finland has. I don't see it being enough to even if Belgium rotates their squad like like Italy, like um uh like the Netherlands, you know, they're they're deep. They can they can they can rotate players. Like yeah. I said, I'm hoping to see the young player Jeremy Doku tomorrow at some point. Yeah. He's yet he's yet to get in. He's only nineteen years old, but uh I mean, you got even if just these names, it's you know, Mounier, De Bruyne, Witzel. Both hazards, Yannick Carrasco, yeah. Lukaku, Eden Hazard. You know, it's just there is such a plethora of options. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, if you could, if you could bet
1: on who's going to sit tomorrow, I'd say Eden Hazard because he's made a glass, and Lukaku mm-hmm. just because he's so important to the side, and De Bruyne because exactly. he's been injured. But I mean, Belgium, you know all the players that sat on the bench for the first two match days, if they were the ones to play tomorrow, they still have way too much for Finland. And I can also see this as you know, being slightly what Italy did and have, you know, six rotations in the squad and then Mm -hmm. get a lead and then bring on uh, other players. Obviously don't play anyone with a yellow card and all that, but, you know, I, I just see Belgium taking control of this game and then, you know, Subbing out all mm-hmm. of their starters to make sure that they're well rested.
0: Yeah, and even then, I didn't even mention Christian Benteke or Dries yeah. Mertens. I mean, Mertens, the names. Oh I'm goodness. looking at the names now, and it's like they yeah. just keep going on. Den Donker, you know. I mean,
1: yeah, and you look at Finland's defense. Like, what would they do against Benteke?
0: I mean, right. just bin balls into him. You know,
1: you know, it's it's very much what we've seen with Lukaku and Finland. Again, we've said this from the beginning. They. And I'm not saying any any negativity towards Finland, but they were able to take advantage of a very terrible situation yeah. by no fault of their own. This was no, in a, a very, very professional manner playing yeah. this game and everyone was professional about it, but they should not have
0: any points. They should not have any goals. Under they normal circumstances, the they yeah. lose that game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what we're looking at tomorrow. Uh, what'd you think of the last couple of days? we we haven't talked in a few days, mm. so uh we've we've kind of uh, we've kind of veered into it a little bit inside conversation here. Uh, we've talked about England and about the Portugal Germany yep. game, but what were your thoughts overall on uh, Friday and Saturday's action?
1: Yeah, I think that we saw a lot of uh, examples of you know teams that have that fight, like you said, teams that don't. I think it was very telling to see Spain get a draw with Poland. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that for me is just confirming that Spain will be eliminated pretty damn fast when it mm-hmm. gets to the knockout stages, um, or sooner if they lose to Slovakia. Yeah. Uh, but I think the biggest thing that I took away from the weekend that was very, very surprising was France. I thought they would run through Hungary. They looked not lost, but just haphazard. Uh, It could be that they didn't care because they, you know, beat Germany and they knew a point was really all they needed. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was just for a team that had three points and needed more points to go through playing against the bottom of their group. I expected them to run riot. I I put, you know, an alt line spread at France minus two. I thought they'd win three, four nil. Um, And I just, Watching that game didn't see anything that impressed me, didn't see anything that made me think this is a dangerous team. Now, mm-hmm. maybe that will change when they face, you know, a team in the knockout stages because they care more. But the France I saw play Hungary and the plan- France I saw play Germany, I wouldn't say that they're a lock to beat Portugal. Mm-hmm you know and and i wouldn't say that they are a lot to really beat anyone that's going to go to the knockout stages barring you know whales obviously and teams like that but that really surprised me i thought i thought they'd get more out of it i was very surprised with the fight in the czech republic the fact that they got something out of the weekend mm-hmm. uh, or friday rather i thought that was very impressive i mm-hmm. did not expect them to be anywhere near as solid as they've looked uh croatia is just you know The old is getting to them, and unfortunately, their young players, we talked about this, do not respect the old players the way they should, so it just needs to be a case of a full overhaul, and that's how it is. Um, The Netherlands looked solid. Belgium, their uh, fight back against the Danes was impressive. Mm -hmm. But yeah, my biggest takeaway was England is shit, and France do not look as dangerous as I would have thought.
0: England-Scotland looked like one of those FA Cup ties where you get the Premier League team taking on the League One or the low championship side, mm-hmm. and they just can't break them down. Yeah. Where the, the lower league side just celebrates the nil-nil like a victory. It yeah. really felt like that for 90 minutes. They, but again, I, I was on that night frustrated, and I have no dog in the fight. I have no emotional attachment to England, mm-hmm. but just watching, knowing a guy like Jadon Sancho is on the bench – And and just not, I don't understand that game was screaming for him because Scotland are playing deep. You Mm. need a guy to run at them at that point. We've seen what Germany did. We've seen what France did to Germany. When you get defenders turned around facing their own goal, that's yeah. when trouble happens for them defensively. And England never got in behind and forced Scotland's back line to turn and face their own goal. So they kept the game in front of them all the time. And then it's easy to cut out passing lanes. It's easy to cut out crosses because you can see them from a mile away, whereas the attacker has to turn. And the attacker is backpedaling to try to get on the end of a header while the defender is coming forward to it. The advantage is always going to go to the defender, and they're usually yeah. taller, especially when... I mean, when he substituted off Harry Kane and brought on Marcus Rashford, I'm saying to myself, "You've lost any box presence you had." Yet your your wingbacks are still whipping in crosses like like Kane is still in there, and yeah, I thought I mean, the decision was, would have been to give Kane more help and to have him stay more in yeah. front of the goal and have him there to be on the end of those crosses versus just pulling him out, even if he wasn't playing well. You you. I don't know. I that that substitution to me made them made them weaker versus making them stronger.
1: Well, it's it's also weird to be like you know this is, presumably, in like a hundred and twenty million pound man, and you're taking him off the pitch. You know, yeah. like don't get me wrong, I'm a United fan and I love Marcus Rashford and I think he's a very <laughs> dynamic player, but it is not a like-for-like substitution. No, for not Rashford in any way. For Harry Kane. So you'd think, oh, okay, there will be a tactical change, <laughs> and there was none. No, I mean Marcus Rashford, I would say, was more effective than Kane at least in terms of creating dangerous mm-hmm. chances, you know, in and around the box. But I mean, watching that game, there were so many moments where Harry Kane was behind his wingbacks.
0: Yeah. He'd
1: be up front and he'd be top of the box. You know, it's just like England looks lost. And I think that game exposed Calvin Phillips for, you know, Hey, he had one good game, but mm-hmm. he's not, he's not the finished product yet. I mean, right. England is just, it's such a mystery to me. Cause again, another, change team selection and another you know mediocre to pathetic output from those players and when you look at their squad it's so deep and so amazing and they just can't figure it out unless you know i, I don't know I, I i was saying towards the end of that game in stoppage time when there was that you know absolute scrum in the box where i'm mm-hmm. they pretty much just laid himself on the ball to make sure that it didn't go in. But I was like, yeah, this would be the most England win ever absolute shit for 90 minutes mm-hmm. and then just a lucky bouncing off people all over yeah. the ball in to win it. But they didn't get it, you know, thankfully mm-hmm. uh, as a neutral because they didn't deserve, it. I mean, they, they did not look dangerous ever. Scotland had zero problem dealing with anything right. they gave to them. And whilst when you look at the replay and you look at what happened, I think letter of the law that was probably a penalty on Sterling. The reason it wasn't given is because you knew he was looking for it. You yeah. knew that he had no options. He was running to the touchline without picking his head up, looking right. anywhere. There was no danger there, so the referee was like, "I'm sorry, there was contact, but you weren't doing anything with the ball. You're running right. out of and it's you just, still have
0: to play the ball." You, yeah, I mean, you I can't just, stop playing the ball. And players get away with this all the time. They stop playing the ball. They blow themselves down so that yep. the defender runs into them and they're rewarded too many times for that in my opinion yeah. but and in this so one many, the referee just didn't give it
1: there's so many instances as well where you see england being i don't know like they're trying to play as though they're spain or they're mm-hmm. italy with this ticky tack type yeah. of stuff that doesn't suit their personnel I mean, mm-hmm. I don't like him at all as a player. I think if Sterling was a good player, he'd have 50 goals a season with the yeah. amount of chances he gets at City. But he is a good player. He wouldn't be on the squad if he wasn't. Mm-hmm. But between him and Marcus Rashford and Phil Foden, who's an amazing player, and Jaden Sancho, you have some of the fastest players on the pitch in any game. And yet mm-hmm. you're trying to do these, you know, 5, 10, 15-yard passes. Why are yeah. we not the slow builder. the ball up the wings? Why are we not, you know... It's, releasing them. It's just unreal to watch how England play. It's like watching Tottenham this year. It's like Mm -hmm. as if, you know, when Mourinho is at United, you have a club that literally has chance to attack, attack, Mm -hmm. attack. You have this history of just throwing men forward, getting goals. You win by scoring more than them, not by defending. And Mourinho Mm -hmm. comes in and tries to employ his park the bus mentality. Mm -hmm. And the players hated it. The fans hated it. And it didn't work. And he left. Yeah. And it seems like that's what Southgate is doing. He's like, I'm gonna be this progressive manager and you know, try to be much more tactical with these, you know, a million passes to make a million percent chance goal. And it's like, that is not yeah, the it's very hipster.
0: Got. It's like <laughs> this is the yeah. new football, and we're <laughs> playing this, <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> and if you don't like it, it's because you're not up with with what's modern and
1: well, and, and so, tell me and, one player that does that for their right. squad for their league team you know it's right. like you, you look at Italy and you look at Spain and all of those players do that with Barcelona with yes. Real Madrid with Juventus with you know Atalanta but England all these players for Liverpool for United for Manchester City Manchester City is probably the only team that does that United Liverpool I mean they're all about counter attacking they're all about pace and you're not utilizing any of that Tottenham is about being shit apparently they've been terrible this year but I, I'm just so shocked watching England that has that much talent and every single international tournament it's like they can't figure it out.
0: Yeah, yeah they exactly. I felt like I I it was funny because I'm talking that night frustrated as if it's my own team and I'm talking about like Raheem Sterling who will not <laughs> use his left foot playing on the. <laughs> It's like, I hurt. get I get that you're shooting foot and you want to create, mm. but if you don't ever go left, you're never going to open up the space to go right. Everybody's yeah. knows where you're going and that's what's happening to him. It happened to him in the Champions League final too. He just mm. kept trying to go from left to center to set up that shot and it just kept getting cut out by, even though he's got the pace, the defenders have a shorter route to the point because they know the angles and they're just gonna cut it off. Yeah. And he's leaving the ball exposed, dribbling that way, because his body is not between the defender and the ball. And he's the one that stays on. You yeah. know. Well, that's the other crazy I mean, he's the one that, that that Southgate keeps on, and I I'm like tearing my hair out for whatever reason.
1: Yeah, I, I and you look at you look at Jaden Sancho and you're like, why are you here? Yeah, like right. why bother showing up? <laughs> because if you're not even going to come on before 87 minutes, it's like, right. I mean he he had 145 appearances. What was it? It was 140 appearances, I think, for um, Borussia Dortmund mm-hmm. and 117. Goal involvements, whether it's like, how is that not something that would benefit your squad? Yeah, and like he's and he fits in perfectly with Rashford and mm-hmm. with Payne. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's you know, I'm a couch manager, I know, but
0: yeah, we are. But, but it, maybe we're better suited to make decisions <laughs> because we look at maybe maybe it's hard to say, but does Gareth Southgate not even pay any attention? To, to Bellingham yeah. and Sancho because they're playing in Germany? I don't know. Well, and why... And, okay,
1: the other thing is, we said this after match day one when England beat Croatia in thoroughly uninspiring fashion. Mm-hmm. You and I said this on the pod. I was like, Gareth Southgate is either a moron or a genius, but at the minute, we can't really say because he's batting a 1,000, but now he's not. Now, now not, he right. just got blanked by Scotland. So it's like, if you do not absolutely handle your next game against Slovakia, which is arguably the easiest team in the group. If you don't absolutely handle them, what do you do? Like, how can you be considered a good manager?
0: And they have to win to win the group. They're behind on the difference. Winning the
1: group, I mean, (laughs) they have to win for
0: pride, for
1: absolutely everything. I mean, wow, it's just crazy to me how poor they look.
0: It's yeah. yeah,
1: what is that? I'm sorry, I'm I'm looking right now, and England has. Excuse me, the Czechs, not Slovakia, the Czechs, yeah, it's Czechs. who are leading the group. Yeah, and if they like genuinely, oh, if they yeah. don't win by margin, it's a loss. Right. Jesus.
0: And and, and they'll probably that'll be on next. Tuesday. Yeah.
1: And they'll probably win one nil.
0: Yeah, and they'll squeak through. Yeah, it'll um, be
1: some terrible, terrible like back pass by the Czechs that you know they capitalize on
0: and score completely mm-hmm. against the run of play. Right, right, exactly. And you know the Czechs had a good, a good match with Croatia. We talked about that, and uh, it's cool to watch to watch you know Schlick stand up there with his nose bleeding and <laughs> converting the penalty kick, and you know. It, his teammates jumping on him all getting his blood on them. Hmm. <laughs> and uh it was it was a pretty nasty uh blow. I don't know that that was a penalty kick. Um watching it. No, it, no on either. VAR is one it's one thing to watch on the VA, but at live play, nobody thought it was a penalty kick.
1: No, you can't, but that's the other problem, is everything yeah. looks worse in slow motion, man. Like yes, look at exactly. that card today. You yeah. know, it's like yes, his studs were high. But it's like when you watch it frame by frame, it looks like he kicked his foot up to slam
0: his ankle, like right. Just yeah, no, that that wasn't a penalty for me either. But I found it even interesting. They even entertained looking at it, yeah. Because and then even Mark Clattenburg said on ESPN that well, they must be looking to see if the forearm hit his nose before the ball got there or something. But he yeah. said even he said even for him, he does it, because of the way the rule is written now. You know, it it shouldn't have been a penalty. He doesn't see how that was a penalty kick, but the yeah. referee, after watching it, emphatically points to the spot. And uh, yeah, he really
1: did, didn't he? As well, yeah.
0: <laughs> it was like like he'd waited his whole life to to make that call. Yeah. And, uh, so you end up with a one-one draw there. Everything to play for here. in the Croatia's got a lot of pressure too. They're going to go into Hampden Park to play Scotland, who have yeah. shown they can be stingy. They can be tough to break down and uh know we-
1: playing though with a lot behind them like yeah their, their energy their fight like croatia they have problems within their team yes. scotland it's like they have absolutely nothing to lose they you know were supposed to beat the checks lost everyone thought they were out of the group and now they have a chance again i just feel like yeah you know scotland is going to be dangerous because of the fact that they're just you know throwing everything at the wall
0: yeah. And, and it's funny because opposite to England, they've never won anything, but they always believe they're they're not sitting there waiting for everything to collapse around them. They're going to yeah. go after it. And if they fall short, it's not because they didn't try. Exactly. That's just their attitude. And this is Croatia for me. I said this the other night and you wouldn't know that that was a world cup finalist three years ago it's like there's almost no remnants left of that team even though you still have your luka Modric and your ivan parisic but they're moving on in years um and like you said the young players don't respect these older players the way they should and Mm. they just don't look like they were ever at that level it's it has been such a drop in the way they play no, I don't see
1: how they score, you know, like, yeah, I, I really don't see against Scotland. I think we're going to see, you know, very similar game to the Czechs in terms of, I think, a 1-1 or a 1-0 or, you know, Scotland sneaking by. But mm-hmm. I just th- their team does not look together on the pitch. You watch them and the eye test says something's up. And, you know, they, I, they I think look like a boxer
0: have- or a UFC fighter that stayed around too long. And now just getting their clock cleaned. And it's like, why are you still doing this? Yeah. You you don't, you're making us forget what you were five years ago. Yeah. It's what it reminds me of. All right. So I completely agree that that should wrap it up. We're going over an hour now. Anything else you want to, you want to hit on tonight?
1: Uh, The only thing I'll say is until you see differently, don't bet on England.
2: Mm, Because I saw
1: the name Jesus, the amount of people all over England and France like minus one and a half. Throwing them is the last piece in parlays, all that shit. We haven't seen anything to show they deserve that yet. So just hold on to your money.
0: Yeah, I've heard it's that. This comes up sometimes because I listen to English radio from time to time. I listen to BBC hmm. 5 or to Talk Sport. And they talk about how because so many English people bet, they actually move the lines because oh, yeah. they're, just, they're just betting on their own team with no no information. Lining blindly and what they're doing is they're they're moving those lines because they're just blindly putting money into a team and swaying the (laughs) swaying the favoritism in that way so it's it's always a like you said don't put your money on them just because the tide of opinion is going that way
1: yeah i mean the eye test usually is a pretty good sign and Mm -hmm. i i haven't seen anything from either of those two teams that would make me confident to say you know it's a lock like germany playing hungary I'm very mm. confident. You know, <laughs> England playing the Czech Republic should destroy them five nil.
0: Mm-hmm. Not, a but chance. you're not confident, right? Staying yeah. completely away from the game mm-hmm. could be
1: nil nil, five nil. Who knows? All
0: right, all right. Thank you again for joining me tonight. If you're available tomorrow, I'll have you again. Um, righty All right, uh, Jim couldn't. Uh, James couldn't make it tonight. He was. He, he came down with something today, so uh, he wasn't feeling well. So, unfortunately, he couldn't join us. But we'll get him on here one of these nights. Uh, uh, if not, he'll be sending in videos as well to give some pics, and we can react to his videos if he's not able to join oh, yeah. us. But We will be back, everybody, tomorrow. Same time, same place, okay? Those of you listening on the podcast feed, you got a special bonus segment coming up where I'm going to recap the Brazilian League round four that just concluded a few minutes ago. So I'll have that for you in the morning. I'll have that by tomorrow morning for you. Um, so look for that if you're interested and for everybody else, we'll see you tomorrow, day 11, tomorrow of Euro 2020 group B and C will be concluding. So we will have some more teams qualifying, some more teams eliminated and we'll, the, the tournament is going to start to take shape now. And we're going to see who has the path to get to that final at Wembley. So, uh, for, for, uh, fade's here make sure you follow him at fade my play follow me at ptb underscore media and we'll see you tomorrow good night everybody see ya and welcome back to parking the bus episode 51 night 10 of euro 2020 and this is now the exclusive podcast portion of the show so only the people listening on the podcast feed right now, are getting this, but as you know, I uh, we've been talking Brazilian League since last year. We covered the season all the way to the final day. It's one of the leagues I pay the most attention to in the world, and you didn't think that I was going to go an entire month without revisiting the Brazilian League, did you? The Brasileirão. No, here we go. Okay, so it's been a couple weeks. We talked after round one about the league, and I gave some predictions, and I talked about a couple teams that I'm expecting to do well this year, and I expected these teams to actually get a head start during this portion here, this international portion of the season, because what we've had is we've had national teams in South America uh, in action. Okay, so in South America, as you know, if you listen to this show, they're playing in the Copa America, Okay. Tomorrow's episode, 52, I'll have a look back at at Match Day 3 of Copa America, Um, the first set of matches for Match Day 3, which kicked off earlier today. I will take a look at those for you tomorrow. Um, So Copa America going on. There was also South American World Cup qualifiers that took place. 1 week before the start of Copa America and the Brasileirão is not stopping for any of these international dates. They don't have the time to obviously they got to squeeze 38 matches into a 6-month window. Um, as you know the league's scheduled to conclude in the beginning of December. So the league is playing through these international windows which makes this very interesting, okay? So it makes life a little bit tough for your bigger clubs for your for your Flamengo, for your Palmeiras for your Fluminense for your Atlético Mineiro okay they're, they're gonna they've got players away on international duty it's a little bit more difficult for them your Inter Porto Alegre your Grêmio, all right and I said that you should keep your eyes on a couple of teams I most notably said Red Bull Bragancino is a team that I'm watching all season this year I really think they can turn into everything that their sister club in Germany is. They could easily become the Brazilian equivalent to RB Leipzig, a team that comes from nowhere and asserts itself in the top four of the league, top six, whatever you want to call it. Um, I predicted Rebel Bragantino would finish top six this season. I also predicted Atletico Paranaense would finish top six this season, or at least push for it. And um, early on, these teams are are carrying out my prediction. There's another one who's that's emerged on the scene, and I didn't see this one. And it is Fortaleza. They have started on fire. Uh, before we get to round four, let me go over their previous matches this season. Okay, the first three rounds of the league, they started off with a shocker in round one. That's right. They were at home. In round one, we talked about it already. they It was actually round two. Their round one match was not... Uh, let me go back just a little bit further here, actually, so that I get—I give you the correct information here on Fortaleza. But their round one match was against Atlético Mineiro on the road at the Mineiro in Belo Horizonte. And Fortaleza went in there and beat Atlético Mineiro. Atlético Mineiro are one of the legitimate candidates for the title this season. They're of course managed uh by they're managed by Kuka this season who has come over from Santos and uh they they're a team that's always near the top recently in the past four or five years. Always near the top. Fortaleza go in there in the first round and they shock them. Now in round two an even bigger shock at home Fortaleza Beat Inter Porto Alegre, the vice champions, the runner-up from last season, Internacional, in Fortaleza five to one. Okay, and they don't stop there. Four days later, they go into Sierra and win three nil, and three days after that, they beat Sport Recife at home one nil. Okay, uh, that's where we stand coming into this week. So Fortaleza come into round five with th- with Four victories, okay, and they come in top of the table. Atletico Paranaense come in perfect, three victories. Uh, Red Bull Bragantino come in with two victories and two draws into this round five. And so those are the teams right now at the top of the table. Let's look at the fixture list then for round four, or I should say round five. I've been calling it round four. It's actually round five right now. Uh, And it began... On Friday night. Round 4 completed on Thursday. And on Saturday, excuse me, round 5 began. So, let us I'll just run down the quick scores from the midweek matches, okay? So, midweek in round 4, you had Inter-Porto Alegre losing 1-0 at home to Atlético Mineiro. Uh, São Paulo draws 1-1 against Chapo Corinthians lose at home 1-2 to... Red Bull Bragantino the team i said to watch uh Juventude would lose uh would lose 3-0 at home to Palmeiras Palmeiras would go in to Juventude they would go in and completely dominate the match in in uh, in Rio Grande do Sul and in the city of Caixas, and they would imprint their footprint right in the in the season as Palmeiras started off with a loss to Flamengo and they had a little bit of a slow start. As you know, they did well in the Copa Libertadores. Uh, they did, however, lose both the Brazilian uh, Super Cup and the South American Super Cup or the Recopa, as they call it. Um, but they would win Wednesday night 3-0 on the road in Rio Grande do Sul over Juventude. Now, Thursday, América Mineiro would host Cuiabá at home. And that match would finish in a stalemate. Nil-nil. Sierra hosting Bahia. Bahia go in and win 2-1. Atletico Goianiense are the first to take points from Fortaleza. They did that on Thursday night. Nil-nil in Goiania, and And Fortaleza dropped their first points of the season. Fluminense are home at the Maracanã versus Santos. And Fluminense pick up a 1-0 victory. Sparch hasif home to Grameu. And Sparch hasif 1-0 winners over the Tricolor. As that is a big, big result for them. And then we move to Saturday. The first big game that I want to talk about. The first big game of the round. And it is at the Maracanã. It is Flamengo, the champions. The back-to-back champions taking on one of the teams I said to watch, the team that I think is going to be the surprise team of the season, Red Bull Bragantino, And it is, of course, like I said, at the Maracanã. And as you know, nobody in the stands in Brazil yet. But here are the lineups, starting with the side from Bragança Paulista. That is, of course, Red Bull Bragantino. Clayton is the goalkeeper. They're playing 4-2-3-1, a formation we're seeing all over the place right now, both in South America and in in Europe. And the four across the back, the right back is Aderland. The two center backs are Leo Ortiz and Fabricio Bruno. Weverson is the left back for Red Bull Bragancino double pivot in midfield with Lucas Evangelista. Very, very good player. He's on loan from Nantes. Uh, he's spent time in Portugal. I've seen him play a lot. Both with... Uh, he has played both with Famalicão in Portugal as well as with another team And that... I'm double-checking on that team so I don't give you the wrong information, but he's... And I know I've seen him play. It was with Vitoria Guimaraes. And also, he has also played with Istoril in, way, way back in the past. So, uh, Lucas Evangelista, a very, very good footballer. And he's, he partners with Raul as the double pivot. In front of them, three attacking midfielders. To the right is Artur Guimarães The center attacking midfielder is Hamidish with Elu Junyu to his left. And the striker is Italo. Interestingly enough here, we in the Red Bull Bragantino side, there is... There there are quite a few injuries. So here's the injuries also that Red Bull, Bragantino are dealing with. Alejandro is injured. He's out a few weeks. Bruno Tubarão out with a broken ankle, at least until mid-June. Claudinho, last year's Player of the Year. Last year's leading goal scorer, Golden Boot winner. He's out temporarily now with physical discomfort. Gabriel Novage is out with a thigh injury until early August. And Luan Candido is out until late June. Also, Weberton was expected to be out, but he, as we said, he got the start in this one, so he was he's on his way back. So for Flamengo, on the other side, Mango would line up for Rogério Seni in the same 4-2-3-1 formation. The goalkeeper, of course, is Diego Alves. Whenever he's fit, he's the goalkeeper. Across the back, the right back is Mateo Zinho. the The center-back pairing is none other than Rodrigo Caio and William Arão. It's the same as it always is for Flamengo under under Jose Mourinho, and the longtime Brazil international and former Atlético me uh, sorry Atlético Madrid uh, wingback Felipe Luis gets the start. Double pivot in midfield for Flamengo as well. It is the experienced Diego or Diego Rivas if you want to use his full name. Uh, former Santos Porto. Among other teams, he's played for several teams. Long-time player, he's, he's been in the spotlight since he was a teenager when he broke through at Santos, along with Robinho. If you can think back that far, the two of them came through together. And he's partnered, of course, with Gerson, who all signs point to making a multi-million dollar move to Marseille once the transfer window opens in about 10 days or so. But he's still playing, Uh, he's still getting the start here for Flamengo in front of them. Vicinho on the right attacking mid with Bruno Henrique playing as the center attacking mid. And Mishael, who is also now being rumored with the big move uh, for a substantial amount of money. He gets the start as the left attacking midfielder and the striker is excuse Muniz. And the match gets off to a great start. As the two teams take the pitch at the Maracanã. Right in the second minute, it is Rodrigo Muniz with the right-footed shot from the center box. But he misses just left. Bruno Henrique gets a yellow card in the eighth minute for a foul on Haul And then a minute later, it's Red Bull Bragantino with, an, uh, with a, an attempt. It's Adarlan with a left-footed shot from outside the block box. But it was blocked by Rodrigo Caio. Keep moving forward. And in the 11th minute, it is the visitors who get on the board first. The upstarts, Red Bull Bragantino. Ah, Adlerlan is the man. Right-footed shot from the center of the box. Top left corner. No chance for Diego Alves as he's assisted by Elinu on the play, or Elu Juniu. As as I read him in the team sheet here in the notes, he goes by the name also, the nickname Elinu. And it is 1-0 to Red Bull Bragantino. 13th minute, it's it's Red Bull again, and it's Adlerlan again, and he hits the right post this time with a right-footed shot from a difficult angle on the right. He was set up by Artur Guimaraes with a cross following a corner. Flamengo nearly equalized in the 14th one minute later, though, as Rodrigo Muniz has a right-footed shot from outside the box saved in the top right corner in the 16th it's michael with an opportunity right footed shot from outside the box but saved again and flamengo are waking up a little bit and they're getting they're getting their their juice going remember flamengo have missed a few matches they had some copa do brazil action midweek with curitiba they advanced to the round of 16 but they're, they're catching up if you will um because they did not play the first night of the Copa do Brasil. They were postponed. So they had to make up the game. So they're coming in a little bit more tired than than Red Bull is. And uh, in the 22nd minute, it's Bruno Henrique with the right-footed shot from outside the box. But this one gets saved in the bottom left-hand corner. Gerson with the pass to set him up. In the Twenty-six. Just a few minutes later, Michael right-footed shot outside the box misses left. He was set up by Felipe Luis. But then, just a moment later, it was it was finally uh, it, the goal. Finally came, I should say, and Flamengo would pull a level here. It is. Rodrigo Muniz, left-footed shot from the center of the box. Bottom left corner, no chance for the goalkeeper. Assisted by Mishael, and it is 1-1, the champion's answer. Adrilan goes in the book in the 29th. And we move on, and we go to the 41st, and it's Vicino with the chance. Right-footed shot from the right side of the box, but blocked by the defense. Leo Ortiz with the block, and then wins a free kick on the ensuing scramble. After being fouled by Rodrigo Muniz. And that will take us to halftime. Artur Guimarães would see a yellow card just before the half. For a foul on Bruno Henrique. And the second half gets started. And it is Bruno Henrique right off the bat. Left-footed shot from outside the box. Saved in the bottom left corner. He had been set up by Gerson. And then it was Bragantino's chance to squander an opportunity. It's Artur, right-footed shot from the right side of the box, close but misses just right, as Italo played him through with the through ball following a fast break out of the back. And then we would see some more action in the 59th minute. It is Rodrigo Muniz. We said his name a bunch in this in this recap. Uh, this time he's got a header from close range saved in the center of the goal coming off across from Michael. Rodrigo Muniz doing a good job to fill in for Gabriel Barbosa, aka Gabi Goal, who is off on international duty with Brazil, of course, at Copa America. And he's had a couple goals in Copa America. And Rodrigo Muniz trying to seize the opportunity to make a an impression for himself. And he certainly would in the 63rd minute. It's him him again. Rodrigo Muniz, right-footed shot from the center of the box to the top right corner. Assisted by Mateuzinho. And Flamengo take the lead. The champions go ahead in the 63rd. Prompting a substitution for Red Bull Bragantino. Coming on is Tomas Coelho. Yeah, Tomas Coelho. Uh, he would replace elu J- Junyu, and two minutes later, Artur Guimarães with another opportunity, assisted by the same Kweiju as he sends across, and Artur gets a left-footed shot from the center of the box, but he puts it just over the bar. Diego misses an opportunity in the 67th, right-footed shot from outside the box, but it's high and wide. One minute later, heading down, it is a the equalizer for Red Bull Bragantino, as it is Hamirish with a header from the center of the box into the bottom left-hand corner, beating Diego Alves. He gets on the end of a corner, on the end of a cross from Weverson. and then a substitution for Flamengo: Roger Ceni sends on Max Alves in place of Michel. That's in the seventy-second. And another attempt blocked as Tomaj Cuejo again for Bragantino with an opportunity right-footed shot from outside the box, blocked by Willy Arão. And the match is wide open now. It's 2-2. Both teams looking for the victory. Another substitution for Red Bull in the 82nd. on comes Natan, who replaces Weverson. And Krigor enters and replaces Italo. A double substitution there for Red Bull. And then it would go down to the closing minutes. That's right. Right when you thought the draw was a foregone conclusion. 90th plus 7. It is Krigor, the substitute, with the header from the center of the box to the high center of the goal. Artur Guimaraes with the game-winning assist off the cross. And Red Bull Bragantino go into the Maracana and beat Flamengo. They beat the champions. They take three points and they assert themselves in the top of the table, in the top three spots, top four spots in the table. Moving then to Sunday's matches, Palmeiras at home at the at the Allianz Arena. They win two to one over América Mineiro. Bahia hosting Corinthians. Bahia um, held at home. It's a nil-nil draw, and Corinthians off to another slow start this season. Uh, for such a big club, you would expect you would expect their issues to be resolved a little bit sooner. They uh, they languished last season. They've had a hard. Uh, they didn't do well in the state championships. They didn't do well in the Copa Sudamericana. And um, they're struggling here at the start of this Brasileirão season. In the Beta Rio, in, in Rio Grande do Sul, it was Internacional 1-1. Team, I told you to watch out for Antonio Oliveira Jr.'s Atlético Paranaense. The Portuguese manager keeps the 100% record here in round 5. They beat Atletico Goianense 2-1. They were down a goal to nil early on off in a a Goianense goal by Barajas in the 13th minute. The 43rd, Mateus made it 1-1. And then in the 71st minute, it was Christian Cardozo who comes in in the Brazilian. The 20-year-old gets on the ball, creates a nice opportunity for himself. He was assisted by Abner. And Cordozo will score to bring home all three points for Atletico Paranaense. And Fortaleza would drop points again in this one, as this time they would take on Fluminense at home. This match would finish 1 1. Goals in this one for Fluminense scored by Paulista in the 56th. And then Hobson would draw level. In the 69th, on an assist from Iago Pikachu, as Pikachu ended up being the man of the match once again. This is a player who remember this name Pikachu P I K A C H U. Okay, he he is off to an absolutely flying start. He's he is getting enormously good ratings as a player um, so far this season, and he's also he's also um, been in the, the team of the week a few times already as we are closing out round five. But Fortaleza dropped two more points. Santos at home to Sao Paulo in the local Sao Paulo Derby. And Santos beat the other Tricolour, another team that goes by the Tricolour. This one's the of the red, white, and black uh, variety. Sao Paulo uh, managed, of course, by Hernan Crespo. They lose away to Santos and Juventude, pick up a 1-0 victory over Sport Recife. That was the late one tonight. That finished uh, just a little while ago. Tomorrow, Monday, June the 22nd, one match in the league. It's it's at 7 p.m. Eastern time here in the United States, 8 p.m. local time in Minas Gerais. It is Atletico Mineiro taking on Chapa Coense. And then you got a whole new round on Wednesday which includes two absolutely cracking matches to look out for, both kicking off at 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern time in the United States, 7 p.m. in Rio. Uh, the first one is at the Maracanã. It is the Champions Flamengo taking on the team that has started the hottest, Fortaleza Fortaleza, however, after the hot start, have two draws in a row. They're going to look to get back on their winning ways, but it doesn't get any easier as they visit the champions at the Maracana. And at the same time, in Bragança Paulista, you have Red Bull Bragantino taking on the Copa Ameri- the Copa Libertadores holders. Excuse me, Palmeiras. So Red Bull versus Palmeiras also on Wednesday. All right, we will revisit the. The Brasileiro, perhaps on Thursday, uh, because Thursday is an off day for the the Euro 2020. That's the first day with no matches. And um, possibly, we will possibly uh have an episode visiting that on thursday or i may record it thursday and throw it onto a weekend episode next week or i may just wait until next sunday night i'll probably just wait until next sunday night and i'll capture round six and seven in one segment like i did tonight i know this is a shorter form form than what we normally do for the brazilian league but just to keep everybody up to speed and to give a little bit of extra coverage To those of you that follow the podcast, because at the end of the day, that is still the bread and butter of the Parking the Bus podcast. It is the podcast feed and not necessarily the live stream feed. All right, that's going to do it. But first, let's look at the table. So some teams have played four matches. Some have played five. Some have played three. So that all needs to be kept in, in mind. But the leaders right now, top of the table, perfect Four victories from four matches, 12 points. It's Atletico Paranaense. They lead, while Fortaleza and Red Bull Bragantino are second and third, respectively, with 11 points each. Palmeiras right now in fourth with 10 points, and then Atletico Mineiro and Fluminense in fifth and sixth on 9 points. Bahia right now seventh with 8. From 5 matches. Athletic Goyanese has 7 from 4 matches. Santos have 7 from 5 matches. In 10th place it is the champions. Flamengo. They have 6 points from 3 matches. 2 victories and a defeat. Corinthians right behind them. 5 matches played. 5 points earned. Uh, the team needs to be much better than that. They are a huge club. Well supported. And they do not belong in 11th place. Averaging just one point a match. Twelfth place right now, which is the final Copa Sudamericana spot for next season. Belongs to Sierra. Five points also through five matches. Internacional Porto Alegre, also a massive club. Runners-up last year. They're also on five points from five matches, as is Juventud. Uh They they have one win, two losses, and two draws. Sport Chesif is in 15th with four points. Cuiabá. 16th with 2, Chapacoense in the relegation zone in 17th with 2, Sao Paulo with 2 from 5 matches, América Mineiro 1 point from 5 matches, and Grêmio. Grêmio are in 20th, dead last. They've only played 3 matches, but they have lost all 3. Let's look at the leading goal scorers right now in the Brasileiro. The top goal scorer is from Fortaleza, no, sorry, he's from Bahia, and it is Gilberto with four goals. Flamengo's Rodrigo Muniz leads a a group of players, actually three of them, with three goals. It's Rodrigo Muniz. It is the just aforementioned Iago Pikachu, who has three as well for Fortaleza, and Eddie Nielsen of Inter has three as well. And then we have a very, very long list, 15 players or so with two goals. All right, now... Before we go, I will read you guys the team of the week for this week. Okay, and this is, of course, courtesy of SofaScore. So this is SofaScore's team of the week. Uh, this is for round five. Actually, round five has not been released yet, so it's round four's team of the week since round five. just con- won't conclude, actually, until tomorrow night. But the round four team of the week in goal, it is... Uh, from Fluminense, it is Marcus Felipe. The right back is Guga from Atletico Mineiro. Palom of Cuiabá and Rivera of Atletico Mineiro are the center backs, with Igidio of Fluminense as the left back. Three midfielders in this in round four's team of the week. On the right, you got Gustavo Scarpa of Palmeiras. You've got. Alison of Santos and Nené of Fluminense. While the attacking trio from Athletic Mineiro, Natan, from Bahia, Gilberto, and from Sao Paulo, you have Emiliano Rigoni. That is the team of the week for, the, for that week. Uh, the next time we talk about the Brasileirão, I'll have a team of the week for round five. It's just not available yet because the round has not concluded. Okay, But that does conclude. This long episode of Parking the Bus. Thank you for sticking with me throughout the nearly two hours here. Um, Thank you for continuing to support the show, both on the podcast and in the live stream. We've had some really good numbers some days. We've had some not so good numbers other days. That is the nature of covering a major tournament and accompanying a major tournament with coverage every single day. Not every single day is interesting to everybody, and I understand that. But again, I thank everybody for all the support, all of the feedback. Um, obviously, I have to thank my boy Fades for coming in again tonight and and sharing the spotlight and, and talking to me and giving his very valuable perspective on things. And we will have Jay, JMP back this week as well with more of his predictions as uh, he brings you that angle. And I couldn't do this without those guys. So this has been an absolute joy to really kind of put together this team here. As we continue to move our way through this month of June. Through this summer of football. And through this Euro 2020 etc. Alright thank you guys. I will see you tomorrow on another episode of the Park in the Bus podcast. This is the Mr. Mike you signing off. Any feedback, feel free to hit me on Instagram or Twitter at PTB underscore media or to just drop me an email if you want to. The email address is network at gmail.com. You can just drop a message there. Of course, you can hit me on my other platforms as well. You can go to app Benfica Mr. on Twitter or at Mr. Benfica on, on Instagram. Also, I'm starting to use my personal Twitter handle again, at Mike Agustino, Um because now that I'm running multiple projects, it's just too much to go back and forth between different accounts to post essentially the same thing. Um, so I think you're going to see over the course of the coming weeks and months, me gradually start tweeting solely from the app. Mike Agustinio Twitter handle. I'm not sure yet, but I think that's the direction I'm going to go in. All right. See you next week. I mean, sorry. See you tomorrow night. It's getting late, as you can can tell. And uh, we've got more football to talk about then. All right. Good night, everybody. And park that bus. Stay safe and enjoy all of the football that this time of year has to offer. And um, peace out, PTB Nation.
2: you faith and no fear for the fight You pull hope from defeat in the night There's a near material to be you in my mind Could be mad, but you might just be right